This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The Celtics' first round matchup is set. It's Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Game one is Sunday night, Saturday night, rather, and we've got an awesome guest joining us to talk all about it next on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. This is the first round we've seen a superstar in Green and White sacrifice the body. Welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We here on the show are also doing pretty well because we're joined by an awesome guest of Barstool Sports, the one and only Dan Greeny Greenberg. Greeny, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us. Awesome, guys. Happy playoff run. We made it. Uh, but can it start already, though? I mean, this wait, this wait until game one is uh, absolutely brutal. And of course, we've got the 5.30 a.m. start uh, Sunday morning. Hence my confusion of what day it's actually starting in the U.S., uh, but we're going to be up up for that game with a live yeah. stream in our playback room. So if you're listening to the show, you want some company for the game, feel free to jump in there. Greeny, how are you, how are you doing? Like, how are your thoughts uh, just heading into this matchup? So I feel like it changes every five seconds, <laughs> right? Like I wake up, I'm feeling good. And then, you know, I'll be making lunch and I get a shot of nerves. And then I'm walking my dogs and I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> so it's it's hard. I mean, the The playing games have been like a a nice little appetizer to sort of scratch that itch. Uh But I mean, we're talking now, it's Thursday night. We're nowhere even close and I'm running out of things. (laughs) Now, before we really, really dive into the matchup, I wanted to ask you, like, how has this season been for you? Because every day you get up and I assume straight onto Twitter, you undertake the noblest of crafts by logging directly onto Twitter and defending the Celtics honor against a legion of haters. Like, given how much the Celtics have been in the spotlight this year, how has this season been for you in that sense? Um, I'd say, I mean, it was obviously one of the best seasons in, you know, not even just recent history, but really since the Garnett, Pierce, and Ray Allen era. Um, I think, you know, what I found to be maybe a little more annoying than most is there were times when there was a certain... I don't want to say narrative, but like when the Celtics were underachieving and not playing to their potential, that brought in warranted criticism. Mm -hmm. It felt like because they were so good for so long this year, it was like almost forced to try to bring up that same tone anytime they would lose a game or they lose two or three in a row where it's like, you know, nobody really wanted to take a step back and say, we're still watching one of the best teams in the NBA. So it's like that perspective was lost. And I think it's because, you know, we had to go so long where they just looked unbeatable that the second they maybe had a speed bump or had a moment of underachieving play, it was, oh my God, this is it. Right back to all the bad habits. And, And that was annoying because it was like, it's okay to enjoy your favorite basketball team when they're playing at a ridiculous level. And I think, 
you know, with that came the expectation of perfection, which just isn't realistic. So I was surprised by the amount of battles I had to have in a year where they won 57 games and were wire to wire one of, if not the best team in the entire league. That didn't really make a lot of sense to me. How happy are you we don't have to play the Heat? Oh, I don't give a shit. I, I, don't All right. I, think, I think a lot of that is, is people being afraid of the idea of the Miami Heat as opposed to the actual basketball matchup. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of talk of that, uh, the overtime loss that, you know, Tatum had that brutal turnover and that showed that we had to be afraid of them. Well, if you look, it was on the second night of a back-to-back and four starters didn't play or four rotation players didn't play in that game. Yep. So, you know, it didn't matter to me whether it was going to be Atlanta, Miami. It doesn't matter who it's going to be in the second round, in the third round, in the Okay. We know one thing about this, and it's been clear through now well over 100 games of watching them play. If they play to their potential and they don't play stupid, it does not matter who's on the other end. That doesn't mean that that doesn't mean they're going to sweep everybody. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to cakewalk through the playoffs. I just know through 100 plus games of evidence that when they hit their ceiling, they're the best team in the NBA. Uh-huh. So as long as they do that, it doesn't really matter to me who they play. You preach to the choir, but I know <laughs> For a fact, it would be like five minutes before tip and you'd be seeing Jimmy Butler warming up in the garden and like the PTSD. When I was watching the Hawks heat game and like I was and Lowry was hitting these threes, I was like, it's I'm I'm my body was reacting in like a pretty visceral way. So I'm like, I agree, like objectively, there was like no chance of the heat actually beating us. But I think just emotionally, I feel just way more comfortable going up like against a no ghosts squishy Atlanta Hawks version. Yeah, I would phrase it as I don't have concern going in, but you better believe every single dribble I'm going to be stressed out. So it's it's going to be an easy two-month run by any means, but like I look at it from the playoffs are about matchups and there's only a handful of teams that match up well if the Celtics play to their potential. So it's more, can they avoid beating themselves as opposed to who's going to, you know, take them out? Yeah. All right. So, thankfully, we saw Jalen practicing for the first time. We all, you know, we did the zoom in. There was a video of him guarding Muscala and he didn't use his right hand once, which I'm sure you also <laughs> noted. Um, but what was, your, what was your first reaction to when we hear Jay, like you see the news, Jalen sliced his hand, but then like the visual yeah. of like the la- the largest bandage ever to be used in mankind. Let me tell you, hey, I'm already nervous anytime so, yeah. any type of injury recovery time. But then I, you see the picture. What you get? That's like what uh, Pierre Paul had when he blew off his fingers. Yeah. So that freaked me out. And then this morning, I think it was Forsberg was the first to tweet out that picture. I have never zoomed in on a grainy photo quicker in my entire life. So, I mean, listen, we'll have to see it until we know. You bet your ass I'm going to be, you know, if he starts off like 0 for 5, I'm going to be freaking out. But I think it's a bigger concern that the tip is, um, I don't know if the sun's going to have set 
by during yeah. Ramadan, right? So we have like a oh yeah, we have a, an afternoon tip. He's not going to be able to eat. He's not going to be able to drink. So that to me is way more of a factor than you know a little slice on his hand. Now that we saw him practicing with you know no bandaging. Yeah, interesting. Maybe we'll get the Kyrie Irving banana on the on the sidelines in the third quarter or, or something like that for for Jalen Brown there. Zooming out a little bit or zooming in, I guess, depending on how you look at it, just talking expectations for this Hawks series, you kind of like you already gave us your expectations for the Celtics in the playoffs, right? Like if they play the way we know that they can play, they're capable of beating absolutely anybody. So I will say zooming in to this Hawks series, you know, looking at matchups and like specifically how many games you think the series might go. What are your expectations for for this series in that sense? I know a lot of people are saying in four or five games, but I'm just, until I can see this team not give away games they shouldn't in a playoff series, I think it's more realistic to think it's a six-game series. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me if they drop one of the games at the Garden. And then, you know, I think it's it's unfair to assume that a team, even if they're, you know, uh, you know, 7C, 500 Hawks team, Guys are going to shoot well at home. Like you have to just at least give them one win. And I don't know. I think it's more likely than six than it is a sweep. But then again, we probably all thought that against Brooklyn last year. And that was a sweep. So I'm just weary of for a team that maybe you're nervous is looking past teams and, you know, assuming that things are just going to be handed to them. And, you know, I, I want to see it play out. So I'm I'm thinking more along the lines of, five six then four or five so like i think we have what a half dozen maybe up to 10 losses this year where it looks like the celtics just took you know they were playing with their food a little bit didn't take it seriously do you have concerns that that's going to happen against i mean it's the playoffs right they've been tight we're we're getting ready for the playoffs going to be the play are they going to do that in round one because i could see them like being up 2-0 and just kind of showing up to atlanta a little hungover and not bringing their A game. I don't know if it's going to be a focus issue as much as it is some of the bad habits of their actual play come back to, to bite them. Like, you know, I can see a game being close and all of a sudden the Celtics can't rebound in the fourth quarter and Clint Capella is eating them on the offensive glass, right? Yeah. Like the Hawks were 11th in the league in offensive rebounding. That's something where if you're only going to play one big – I don't know. That That's how I think they can get snake bit. You know, you always have to worry about the random off night shooting, you know, in the playoffs. So I don't think it will be a situation where they're, you know, dicking around, not focused, playing lazy. I just think if they are going to have a game where they slip up, it's going to be a high turnover game. It's going to be not protecting the defensive glass. So things that are more basketball related than Oh, we're we're you know we're playing Houston. We're just think you know we just have to show up and win. <laughs> yeah. I don't see that happening, especially with so much at stake in the playoffs. And and really, there weren't too many games like that last year. It was the high turnovers, the stupid play, things like that. Yeah, I think the good thing is that Atlanta doesn't force a ton of turnovers and don't have the types of plays mm-hmm. I think you worry about um, causing those issues. Yeah, the true. offensive rebounding, like Clint, was a monster. Obviously, in that in that heat game, you know, I'm sure you know better than anyone. Celtics were the number one defensive rebounding team in the league. So, be interesting to see, like, if Capella starts kind of going off, then maybe that's just when you 
you you do go double bigs or something like that. But yeah. So yeah, so it'll be interesting, right? Because they're so good on the glass. And yet the Celtics, like you said, were number one in defensive rebounding and number one at limiting yeah. opponent rebounding percentage. So something has to give. But I just can't ignore lineups that where maybe Al was the only big in the in the fourth quarter. He just doesn't rebound yeah. late yeah. in games. It's bizarre. So if that is, if you are going to go double big there, that kind of hurts you because now they can just keep Capella mm-hmm. at the rim defensively. So it'll be fascinating to see if they are having trouble on the glass. Do what does what does Joe do? Does he just you know swap out Rob for Al? Does he play both? I, I don't know. It's it's going to be important that the guards you know certainly help out because yeah. that is how they lose all these close games is they just can't secure defensive yeah. I think something we saw in the first half of the year before Rob came back was like massive commitment from both Jalen and Jason, like on the glass. And then Rob came back and then he just obviously solves all your rebounding problems because he's a, he's a, just a ridiculous rebounder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then when he went out again, it felt like it took him a little while to kind of re, like recapture that focus on the glass. But your point about, you know, expecting a sweep, I had a look like last year, there was one sweep in the playoffs. Like they actually don't happen that much. And it was us. Year before, there are only two sweeps. They don't happen that much. Like the Warriors, they 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 lose one game to the to the Mavs. Like I, I think you know, getting closer to five, I think five is probably the number that that makes sense. I just like the matchup a lot um, for this team. Yeah, but, I mean, like they still have to prove that they can guard you yeah. on the perimeter, right? They have to prove that they can find ways to get Trey Young out of jail. So if they're gonna, if he's gonna be bombing it from thirty-five feet, you just tip your cap to it. Go him. nuts, dude! Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, if he's gonna turn into like what Steph did in the finals, like, cool, man, you earned it. But there, there is more of a basketball problem similar to what Brooklyn had last year. Similar to what you know, if we end up playing the Sixers, they'll have to deal with. If you don't have elite perimeter. Wing defenders and then size in terms of your guards, it's a problem for you to try to defend this team for 48 minutes. Matchup-wise, it's an absolute nightmare for the Hawks. As we've sort of already talked about, it's, a, it's an absolute nightmare for almost every team in the NBA. But Trey Young is going to be put in absolutely every action or as many actions as possible defensively for the Hawks. That's going to be brutal because he's going to be expected to carry the load offensively as well. So it's going to be a tough series uh, to, to understate it entirely for, uh, for Trey Young there. And then Marcus Smart, I think we're going to see a return of the Marcus Smart post-ups as well, posting up. Yeah. Poor little Twiggy Trey Young. Yeah. knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. And then talking about the offensive rebounds, the Hawks had two good offensive rebounding games against the Celtics early this year. One with 17 <laughs> offensive boards, one with 16. And the Celtics still won both of those games and they won the third game yeah. as well. So that doesn't necessarily pose that much of a threat because there's just so much the Celtics can do to make up for that deficit on, on all other ends of the court. You think, would it surprise anybody if this is like a six-point game at half on Saturday? No. I just think, you know, I'm just – maybe it's my PTSD. Maybe it's <laughs> I'm giving them too much credit. I just think when you get into the actual playoffs, like even though they swept the Nets, all those games were close. Like it's not like they – completely wipe the floor of them. So I'm just like, I want to make sure that we, that I give proper respect. <laughs> to the, you know, like you guys can, like the Hawks can't get hot from three. Bogdanovich can't get hot. You know, Trey can get hot. 
I've seen DeJounte Murray go into the garden and beat the Celtics through nothing but mid-range jumpers. So that's what I mean. Like, they have to show up and play. If they do that, we shouldn't have too much stress. Mm -hmm. But, you know, anything can happen once you're in between the lines. Like, reputation doesn't matter. What you did before doesn't matter. It's, it's literally just about executing in those 48 minutes. Yeah, and, and speaking of, like, show up and play, outside of the Jays, who do you expect from the Celtics, like, you know, the non-Jays guys to have a big series? And is the answer Sam Hauser? I was actually going to say. <laughs> no, no, all right, nice. will probably say Derek White, but if you look at Sam Hauser's numbers against this team, it's like, it's not even real. I yeah, mean, it's ridiculous. He's up to probably like in the mid fifties from yes. three on good volume, and a lot. A big part of that is if you watch how they were getting him his looks, they ran him off a ton of screens. The Hawks are in the sixth percentile in the league at defending players off screens. They just can't do it. It's it's a fatal flaw for them. So if he should, and, and I think that's why him getting in this rhythm in the last you know couple games of the year, he may not play thirty. 20, you know, 25, 30 minutes. But the if he goes in there and he starts knocking down a couple of these open looks and running him off screens, immediately they're going to have to pay attention to him. Well, now you just gave all the space to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to drive to the rim. So I know like Derek's going to be super important. Smart's going to be super important. But Hauser's shooting is what I think can be the thing that truly opens up what the Celtics to do offense. Yeah, I think the, the key to this whole matchup for me is Trey Young and attacking Trey Young. And when you put Hauser on the court, that just doesn't give them anywhere to hide. Like you can't, like yep. you can't give Trey anywhere to hide. And I want them to do it like properly. I don't want to just attack Trey Young ISO and like they get tricked into ISO. Use the Trey Young matchup as a way to create advantages within the offense. You know, you said the Marcus Smart post up, post him up, bring help, kick to whoever it is. Um, and then yep. and then get driving. I don't even want to see too many like quick shots because that I think being able to get like a quick open three when you get a, a quick advantage is going to be very easy. I want to see you know Jalen attacking off closeouts, Jalen attacking off closeouts. Even Hauser's been looking pretty good attacking off closeouts. But Hauser and Al they can take as many quick three point shots over those after, after those quick. Uh, <laughs> right. I don't want I don't want Al driving too many. Yeah, I don't want Al driving too many closeouts in the first round. You got to save. Save those legs. But you mentioned um, Smart, you know, the guards, Brogdon and, and Derek. I think, like, they're definitely a key to the series just because the strength of Atlanta is Trey and Deshante. And just, like, you said it before, I think it was, Ben, like, the, it's a matchup problem for so many teams because the Celtics have strengths on the wing, strengths in the front court, strengths in the guard room. Um, I thought Marcus had a really good quote today because I think Joe has been hesitant to – bench Marcus when it comes to crunch time. And I wonder what your thoughts are on kind of like if, if that happens. So I'll, I'll read the quote. Um, all three of us will sat down and talked and we all let each other know we're all here to win. And that's our main goal. We're going to sacrifice whatever that means. And Joe hasn't done it really in the regular season. I think, you know, Marcus, I think for the most part is the right choice for the closing lineup. But do you, what do you think about the, the guard rotation there? My gut, my gut says, you know, your three core guys, Tatum, Brown, and Smart, I think have shown enough to warrant, you know, the benefit of doubt and getting that first crack at it. At the same time, if Marcus isn't going to play the right way, he can't be on the floor in big moments. And I think 
as long as Joe is empowered enough to make those tough calls. Now, whether he will or not is remain to be seen. But, you know, that was the same with Ime. It's the same. Like, we just don't know until we see it. I think his larger body of work has shown that he can play the right way when it comes to, you know, knowing his pecking order in those in those late moments. Like, people will see him take a wide open three and freak out. Yeah. Like, that I don't care about. You know, it's, it's, is he playing within himself? Is he playing under control? Is he taking care of the basketball? Like if it comes down to, you don't want Marcus on the floor because he's taking a wide open three, like you just don't like Marcus Smart, the player, and that's your prerogative. But I think it all just come down to how they're playing in that moment, right? Like Derek has been so good. He's almost played his way onto the closing lineup. But if the Celtics are in a situation where they need to go double big, that means one of the three guards is going to have to to come out. You can't play all three of them. So my thought is if they don't need offense, then they probably won't have Brogdon close. If they need defense, you'll probably see them go one big with White and Smart. I don't think we'll see too many with White and Brogdon, but I mean, who knows? It's it's almost like you can't go wrong because all your options are good. So it's just going to come down to probably feel in that moment how guys are playing, how the defenses are are reacting. Like maybe it's a situation if you're in a close game and defenses are just honing in on the Jays and they're giving you all these wide open threes, maybe that is the time to play Brogdon because he's an unbelievable catch and shoot three-point shooter. So I care more that that Joe has the guts and the support to, you know, make subs on the fly given what the situation calls for. And then, like, how much does the need to limit Rob Williams' minutes come into to this lineup question, Greeny? And uh, particularly looking at the starting lineup, do you think that, that Derek White's going to remain in there as the starting two? Or do you think we're going to go back to, to double big throughout the playoffs, or at least in this particular matchup? You know, I was, I was a big believer in if it's not broken, don't fix it. And so once Rob came back, like, this was the lineup that ran the NBA. But... We're at the point now where you just you cannot deny what Derek White's impact is nope. on the floor, right? Like so good. I feel like I finally was able to, you know, allow my brain to say, just because that worked last year, at some point you can't you can't deny the production, you can't deny, deny the impact. And I just think he's been he's had such a great year. I just and I know he won't give a shit. So like I want to give a shit for him and say <laughs> well, he's earned the first crack at it. Now that doesn't mean you can't have a quick sub if if that lineup isn't working. But I do think that we're gonna see Joe stick with that at least through the first crack at it. We've seen it be successful against the Bucks. We've seen it be successful against the Sixers. So I don't know if there's a matchup where we need to change what makes the Celtics successful. They are the ones that need to impose their will and make their opponent change. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, when you're at the talent deficit, that's when you need to go to the weird stuff and try and do something different. Uh, but on the Celtics side, I'm going to be really interested to see what Joe does because he's got a lot of like weapons at his disposal off the bench. So Looking through our role players, right? Like, obviously, there's like seven nailed on guys who are going to get minutes. And uh, assuming Rob and Brogdon are the two guys off the bench, but we've commonly, you know, most playoff rotations are eight guys. 
So who's the eight guy that's going to see eighth guy that's going to see like 10 minutes per game this series? And is it Blake, Hauser, Grant, or Luke Cornett? Because I think there's multiple options there. I would imagine Grant probably gets the first look. Yeah. Um, just because I think if he, listen, if Grant plays like the Grant, we know he can. I think what he gives you on both ends of the floor are, you know, beneficial. But you know right away what type of Grant game you're getting. So if if that first, you know, stint, couple possessions, he doesn't look locked in, I think you'll see Hauser be that eighth guy. Um, obviously, foul trouble and all that will impact sure, you know, yeah, yeah. rotations, but it's just tough because they all provide a similar skill set. I just lean to in a playoff series that's physical. You know, you may want Grant, but at the same time, I do think there's sort of a Trojan horse mentality of when Sam House is on the floor, people go at him and it ruins their entire offense. Yeah, the absolutely. best defensive rating in the league. <laughs> the house track. Well, I know, I know. It's bullshit. Like, Hauser Island is real. So I can see DeSante Murray. I can see, you know, Trey Young thinking that, oh, I got Sam Hauser. I can see Hunter thinking that. Yeah. So there is an element to that where it's like you play Hauser, you get the elite shooting, you get good defense or passable defense, and you have a guy that people are going to target and it's going to take them out of their offense. But I just think. With with what Grant can do in terms of rebounding and things like that, I think he gets his first shot, but he probably has the, the, the shortest leash out of all the bench players. And what are your thoughts before I jump in here? I feel like... I think the point on, on Hauser, like stretching out the offense um, and just uh, opening up Trey Young to his known vulnerabilities is, uh, that's a very valid point. And I just, we just love seeing like Sam Hauser buckets, right? They're, of yeah. all the bucket getters off the bench, the the, the Sammy Hauser buckets are, are probably the most enjoyable. We, ho- we heard Eddie House trying to come up with a, like a, an automatopoeia, a word for the sound that the net makes when Hauser splashes a three. Um, I, I mean, just, it's about as pure. It's about as pure. Twine. It's like he is a long lost splash. It's like Steph, Clay, Ray Allen, Cal Corver. They're yeah. the only people I've seen. Like they don't even think about touching the rim when they shoot the ball. It's it's truly incredible. I'm actually, yeah, kind of. I'd, I'll be surprised if Grant is the guy that gets the first minutes in this matchup specifically, just because I think the, it's all about the like the offense and making Trey work. And I think if you put Grant out there, you're giving you're giving Trey an out. Um, That's yeah. true because he can just go. That's true. You may want to have it be a perimeter I guy because I know Grant can him. shoot from forty percent from three, but like you can, he's not like Hauser's got a lightning release. I think Sam Hauser can shoot three times before Grant gets like a single three point shot off and then um just the turnovers with grant right now i like hauser doesn't turn the ball yeah. over because he just shoots it um and he's like and he's been pretty good off the catch i just i'm like of this podcast pretty pretty, i'm like pretty <laughs> down on like grant. I, like you to your point i think you're i don't want to say you're stuck in last year but like this I like, that's the thing that's, like that's true yeah because i like the Derek white thing like it's been true for a while and i think like this team is just so is, is very different like the offense is so, so good um, when they're like humming and like Hauser, the juice that he brings to the offense, it's like could be a seven point lead. They go to the bench and then the game's over after Tatum and the bench like goes in. 
Uh, I don't, I'm yeah. not sure of Grant, especially especially in this matchup. Um, and yeah. I do. I think you make a good point. Just because, even though Grant can shoot forty percent, their forty percents aren't created no. equal, right? Like, no. Walter is such a better off ball moving, you know, without the ball, and he would make if if he's the weakest offensive option, Trey Young would guard him. He's going to make yeah. Trey Young have to move, whereas Grant. He just kind of stands in the corner. It's easy to defend. So you're probably right. Uh, I'll stop it. But yeah, but I mean, your stat about the 6% um, coming, like defending off screens, like how's a, he gives you that weapon, Guy Spaney. That's it. Yeah. I was just going to say, if I may propose one other guy, <laughs> we're concerned about offensive rebounding. Blake Griffin is basically, outside of Rob, the best defensive rebounder on the team. And he can make a shot and also... Mate, if I'm we get it out of the playoffs, <laughs> uh, I'm going to lose my shit. Saying, if we get something like that, it may, it may truly be our year. If he's not yeah, true. Yeah, you can't underwrite what would happen if Blake did that in, a, in, a, in the garden. <laughs> but I mean, Blake, like if we're getting killed on the glass, I do expect to see Blake out there because he will muck it up with Capella all day long and he can stretch him out a little bit. So uh, there's just a lot of options, man. Now, let me ask you this. <laughs> you guys mentioned Cornette. Are you... I might actually be a Muscala over Cornet. Ooh. Or maybe I hate it. Playoffs. I think, yeah. I, I've, I've really liked Moose's minutes lately. I think he's been really good on the boards, where I think Cornet's kind of struggled on the boards lately. He's just so he's, slow. Like his arms don't go he's, up fast. Yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. He's, he's not a quick, quick guy. Like he's huge. He's cool to like contest, you know, at the rim, but I just feel like, like you said, he doesn't go up quick enough. And then. If it's a long rebound where the ball touches the floor, he's never the first never. one ever. Never. And so that's what really killed them, you know, in some of their, you know, issues late in the season where it's just like, he's right there. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. how are you not getting this ball? I just, it never made sense. Yeah, I, I would, I would go Muscala as well, just because like, again, the shooting, and I don't think that the defensive gap is like that large between Muscala and Cornette right now. Right, um, like yeah. they're both like if you put Cornet in isolation or you put Muscala in yeah. isolation, it's over. Okay, so yeah. I'd rather have a guy who looks a little bit faster and can shoot forty percent from three. <laughs> looks faster, yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair. I'm not, I don't think we can say for sure Muscala is faster, but he definitely feels faster right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like when he was putting the ball on the on the yeah. on the floor against us, it's like. There was some speed yeah. there a little bit. If, yeah. you know, if, you, if you give a dump off pass to Muscala, I feel far more comfortable with him like giving a pump yeah. fake and like doing a reverse layup than I do with Luke as well. Like Moose, Moose has been pretty solid. All righty. We'll, we'll move on to some slightly um, uh, a little bit of fun here. Um, like you, I've been impressed, Greeny. You've like done a pretty good job with the mental gymnastics, like giving respect to the to the Hawks and saying like this could be like Listen, I'm time. a big karma yeah. guy. All right? oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. Listen, we want, we were two wins away. Okay? <laughs> this is too important. Can't oh, risk God. it. <laughs> Listen, I'm not I'm not going down that road this time around. I need them to win the title. <laughs> so that's fair. So we'll, you can be as careful as you want during this segment here. But um, <laughs> if you're an Atlanta Hawk fan or analyst, like what, like what are you kind of coming up with um, to get away here? I've got a few kind of things from Twitter here. Um, and we'll start with Renee Montgomery, who, by the way, I learned, I learned about her in the summer league 
because uh, she was commentating and she did an amazing job. Love her, um, co-owner of the Atlanta WNBA team. This is my response to what happens if the Hawks beat the Celtics. I just, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I know you saw this tweet today. We won't be too mean about this one because Hawks fan TV has come on the pod. He might be making a reappearance. But this tweet with... I did see this, this tweet, today. <laughs> this, I don't know, like the... This is a little delusional. If you aren't watching on YouTube, he's got kind of comparing the starting lineups here of, with like greater or less than signs. And Trey Young has three greater than signs and Marcus Smart. DeJounte is a greater than than D. White. And somehow Collins and uh, Hunter are only one less than sign than uh, JB and Tatum with uh, Capella being greater than Horford. A little bit of delusion, I think, is fair. A little bit. But yeah. um, it has been interesting like, to see because like, fans are going to watch their own team so much more than any other team. They're obviously riding high yeah. off the heat win and like, obviously getting the, you know, this monkey off their back from that perspective. Like, is there anything from a matchup point of view that you, that you think that the Hawks can take advantage of the Celtics? I know you've mentioned the offensive rebounding. Oh, definitely, definitely. So all year, the Celtics were pretty terrible at defending pick and roll. I think they were in like the 37th or 38th percentile in defending the pick and roll ball handler. Well, no team in the NBA runs pick and roll more than the Hawks. Their 28% frequency led the league. They can do it with Trey. They can do it with Gisante. So... That's where I want to see, like, okay, if Smart is fully healthy and he's, you know, we're going to see that locked in Smart, they need to figure out how to stop pick and roll because, you know, they got an, uh, an elite lob, I don't know about elite, but a solid lob threat in Capella and John Collins. So that's something that the Celtics did not do well all year, no matter who was on the floor. And it's the number one way the Hawks score. So if the Celtics can't consistently stop pick and roll because in the playoffs, it's like you only do things that you, yep. you know, it's all about exploiting weaknesses, right? So the same way the Celtics are going to pick on guys like Trey Young or John Collins defensively, the Hawks are going to put the Celtics in a million different pick and roll actions until they prove they can stop it. So that's probably my most, you know, my highest concern, even more than the rebounding, because Rob does solve that if he's on the floor. Rob did not solve their issues guarding pick and roll um, even when he was healthy. So it has to be that for me. Yeah. I would just say Trey Young's 4-11 and 11 against the Celtics in his career, and three of those wins came in the COVID Jeff Teague. I went back and looked at the box scores from their from their wins, and there was like a Jeff Teague 30-minute performance. There was a sh- – like, so like he's had very little success in general, and I, I do wonder um, how much – they like have kind of been coasting on that pick and roll stuff to like not doing a lot of switching, but uh, Ben, you guys. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe it's just, they didn't want to show some stuff, but I mean, it doesn't really, the Celtics have struggled, whether it was Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz, the Cleveland guards, like when you have a quick shifty score first point guard, the Celtics struggle defending that and keeping them out of the paint. If you let Trey Young get into the paint at will, the Hawks are really tough to guard because he's got an elite floater. He's always looking for the lob. So to me, it's it's just it's having a strong point of attack defense that starts with your guards. It's it starts with stopping pick and roll. Because um, if you take that away from the Hawks, they can't shoot. So that's literally their entire offense. Um, so we'll just have to see if they're locked in. 
Yeah, we had a conversation earlier this year about when we were really nerding out about this team at its peak of who the best <laughs> screen navigator uh, in on the team was. And we, we came away with, despite Marcus Smart winning Depoy last year, that, that Derek White was the team's best screen navigator. Easily. The fact that he's going to be out there so much and, and on that Trey Young assignment... Um, is allowing me to sleep at night currently because, like that, yeah, like you said, Drew, that's probably the one thing to worry about that that pick and roll attack from the Hawks and the fact mm-hmm. that we've got three incredible defensive guards that we can throw at Trey Young and the fact that Derek White is so mm-hmm. good at navigating screens. Um, it, it's given me a lot of, of of calm right now when I when I need it. I think the other that's rare for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm the most neurotic <laughs> fan on on the show. Just so you know, Greeny. I think you're the other thing, Greeny are yeah one two. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, because, I'm I mean, you're you're speaking my yeah. language. So I'm, I'm happy there's another person in this world that's as messed up as I am. <laughs> so I say, I say wear it as a badge of honor. <laughs> We're spiritually aligned. I love it. Uh, the other thing is just Trey Young potentially heating up, and that's just not something that's going to bear out over seven games, and please, God forbid, that it goes even close to seven games. But Trey Young has shown spurts of being, I don't want to compare him to Steph Curry, but at least with that kind of range, and that might be all they have after a little while as far as like points yeah. of attack for the Hawks and there could be a game or two where Trey Young just completely heats up and us having to come out so far towards the halfway line to defend him throughout the course of a game. But thanks, Carl. And you have to give him credit. He loves, he relishes being the villain. Yeah, right? we like, saw it in yeah. New York. He likes going into hostile environments and just, you know, putting his nuts on the table and, and coming up with those big time performances. So that's what I mean. Like you have to give them their respect in that regard of, they have the capability to do that. It's just, you know, if the Celts don't mess around, they'll be able to limit it. But I watched him go in to MSG and do what he did against the Knicks. I watched him, you know, give the Bucks a run for their money before, you know, they got he got hurt and all that stuff. So I I just I'm just very weary to say it's gonna be an easy, I just can't, I'm not putting that karma out there just yet. Yeah, and uh, real quick, back on the pick and roll defending, we're one of the worst teams at defending the ball handler, and we're about average defending the roll man, and we are one of the worst teams at defending isos too, which makes no sense, but all season long. So if we play drop, we can get burnt. If we switch it, we can get burnt. So yeah, I'm with you, man. Like the the pick and roll, it's going to happen a lot, and we better be ready for it. What's interesting about those isolation numbers is like the people that had the biggest regression were arguably your best defenders. Like Smart, the year last year he won DPOI. He was, I think, giving up 0.5 points per ISO possession. This year it was like 1.5. It was like nowhere close. And part of that is maybe the offensive skill is getting better, but they just from top to bottom, every single person regressed in terms of their isolation defense from last year to this year. Yeah. So that's just what I mean. Like, they're not bulletproof. We've seen what happens when they, you know, if they're not guarding their yard, if they're not providing resistance on the perimeter, you can beat this team. And that's why, you know, like you said, whether it's guarding pick and roll or just staying in front of your guy, like, they talked a big talk of, hey, we're healthy, we're ready, we're locked in. Like, okay, now it's time to to show it because – you're going to have guys who can get hot in, in 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 a blink of an eye, right? Like we've seen DeJounte Murray make a couple floaters. Now, next thing you know, he doesn't miss for an entire quarter. So yeah. I just think they have to be, you know, ready for that. Yeah, I think the strategy, like literally 
take what you did against Steph Curry and, and the Warriors and completely like emulate that game plan in this series because the only way, reason the Warriors won that series is because Steph Curry, like, you can do whatever Trey Young, Steph Curry comparisons you want. Like, that is not, they're not, they're not the same guy. The level of shooting that Trey Young provides, like, he's been, I was listening to Locked On. I've been diving deep into the Hawks side for like in the last 48 hours, like Locked On Hawks yesterday. Trey Young, last 12 games. They like, they're pretty concerned that he's lost confidence in his three ball, like not just the percentages. Mm. Last 12 games, he only shot 4.7 threes per game, which like, which is, that's crazy, which is crazy dude. So, that, so like, it was really good to see him shoot eight against the Heat because like, they ha- he, like he has kind of stopped mm. shooting. And so like, if you're the Celtics, I think you kind of force him. Like, I, I don't yep. think, I don't think Trey Young has the ability to do what Steph Curry did to Derek White. Um, so I think you force him into that. And like, if he starts to get in his head, like if he's already, if he's already close to that kind of doubt, the garden's going to, that's not going to be long before he cracks. I don't think. Right. And if you, one takeaway I had watching that heat game and it's, and it was maybe more with Murray than it was with Trey. I feel like you can bait them into taking bad shots. Yes. Right. So if you're playing that same type of drop coverage along the three point line that they did with Steph, Trey's taking those threes because they just they they can't limit themselves from making bad offensive decisions. Like Dejounte Murray took I think six or seven threes against the Heat. He's not a three point shooter. So the same way that teams think that they can bait Marcus Smart into taking those threes, I think you can bait you know whether it's Sadiq Bay or you know like he he's a huge hero three guy. Sadiq Bey will pass up the right play to take a hero three. We know it. We've seen it. So I he think makes that, him against us, though. I know. Well, that was when he was on the <laughs> I just think that there's something to that where if you're worried about, you know, the lob or, you know, giving up the paint, bait them into taking those pull-up threes. Yep. And if, like we said, if he pulls a Steph Curry and he goes nuts, then, like, you can tip your cap. But I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. And I'm like, if he does go Steph Curry, the flip side of that is like they don't have the Warriors defense. That you know they have right. they have the Hawks defense. So I, I, that would be my game plan. What about this, Greedy? Right. You get to pick one guarantee for the playoffs, uh, and there's four here. Rob stays healthy, okay. is number one. Derek White maintains his regular season three point shooting percentage, which is currently at thirty eight percent. The Celtics maintain their regular season assist-to-turnover stats, which is currently at a a 2.0 assist-to-turnover ratio, or Tatum's pull-up three comes back up to 35%, which is currently at like 29%. This is, all right, so this is something that I I want to happen or I think- You just pick one. You 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 get to pick one thing that's like a guaranteed truth that like will- It's Rob. Okay. 100% Rob. Rob Rob is the biggest ceiling raiser on the roster, bar none. If he's healthy, what he does on both ends for your defense, for your offensive rebounding, for your passing, like it would be awesome if Derek shot like that or if they didn't turn the ball over. But Derek's not going to have to shoot that way if Rob's on the floor and he can just get every offensive rebound if he misses. So for me, I just I want to see what it looks like for a two month playoff run with a healthy Rob. That that has to be the, the pick, in my opinion. Spoonie, what do you reckon? Yeah. I, I'm I'm going with the turnovers, man. Like I still have like lie down to go to bed, finish reading my book, and I close my eyes 
and I see Draymond Green fouling, J- fouling Jason Tatum, but it's not called and he coughs up the ball on a drive. Like if I could ensure we are always have double the assists to turnovers, I would take it all day. What about you, Ben? I'm going to go with Rob as well, although the, the turnovers yeah. is a close second, but I've been doing my deep diving into you know opposing teams podcasts as well. I was listening to Thinking Basketball this morning as well, and they were talking about their favorites in the East, and basically they said if Rob Williams is in any way healthy, even just aligned with how we looked the last yeah. five games of this season, then the Celtics are a clear favorite. Um, so I, I very much subscribe to that. It's Rob. You know, the turnover thing, it's, like I said, a close second, and the Tatum three-point shooting. Like, if Tatum could just pull up that's and shoot spicy, 35% on those ISO sidestep threes, like, that's that's going to obviously bear out well for the Celtics. But I just, I don't see that happening. Unfortunately, I don't see the Rob Health side of things happening as well as much as I, like, pray to whatever God anyone believes in that it will be the case. I'll do anything. If, if there's something that I can do in this world to guarantee Rob's health, let me know. I will do it. Anything at all. What do you well, think, let me, let me put it this way. Did you guys all watch the, the Firefest yeah. documentary? Yeah. Oh, yes. hell yeah, both of them. Okay. You know, the I had to buy, a, I had to get a bottle of water interview yeah. scene. And yeah. What were you willing to do? That is what yeah. I'm willing to do <laughs> for this entire playoff. Everything is on the table because he is that. Well, so, Greeny, I've been screaming all year long that, like, obviously, Rob is, like, you know, the key and he remains the most underrated player in the league partly because he doesn't play. So how can you kind of overrate him if he's not playing? So no one gets to see yeah. him play. But Celtics fans understand, like, if he's healthy, then the idea of us kind of walking through the East is, like, actually not that outlandish just because of how good he is. But that, you know, to keep Rob healthy, all year I was like, we should be going away from double bigs because it's the easiest way to keep his minutes down. And like, and then you start tracking, like, any time we started to tick up, like, multiple games above, like, the 25 to 28 range, that's when he'd be like, oh, he's missed a game here or there. It's pretty much exactly yeah. what happened with the hamstring, which is why, like, keeping him coming off the bench and even, like, even all the way into, you know, the second round, late second round, like, he shouldn't be playing more than 24 minutes. Like, I know they, they tested him that one time on that back-to-back, but, like, 20 minutes of rub for the whole playoffs is so, so, so much more valuable than, like, him in and out again. Yeah, I think I think if you look at the at his game log, I think they had him up, you know, like thirty one or thirty two last couple games, and and it's sort of like a double edged sword, right? Because when he's on the floor that long, he gives you such a boost, but it's almost like it's then now a ticking time bomb of like, okay, oh, we're running them into the ground. But I think I think they were maybe a little overly cautious in his recoveries this year for good reason. And I think they really nailed their management plan for him and Al throughout the year. At some point, you got to just like rip the governor off and say, all right, it's time to win a title. Maybe maybe you do that in the finals if you're if you're fortunate enough to get there. Like you don't need to burn out Rob in the first round to beat the Hawks. Certainly. (laughs) But maybe it's the deeper you go. But it's just so unpredictable because like. The guy could go up one, you know, one jump and one awkward land and it's over. So for me, it's like, I'm with you. I would love to keep it 20 to 25 minutes. But when he's on the floor and he's just dominating everybody, I'm like, all right, don't take him off. Like, It's like, this is what I've been missing. So I don't know. It's, I don't know how Joe's going to do it. Yeah. It's, 
I know it's like having that superpower. That's like you know you you can't use it for too long, and then it's like you you start burning burning out. Yeah. I, honestly, like that tw- that twenty to twenty five minutes of rub is so is so impactful. So, um, yeah. we will see. Um, we'll we'll move on. Are there any other first round matchups just in general that you're super excited for? Oh yeah, I mean I'm pumped. I mean I, it's cheesy to say all of them, but yeah. like <laughs> I can't wait for Cats Knicks. Yeah, wait that's going to be awesome. I can't wait for uh, for all Kings of the West. Warriors. Yeah, <laughs> Kings Warriors. I'm kind of down on Clippers Suns just because George bummer, isn't going to yeah. play. And I, you know, that's kind of a bummer. Lakers Grizz um, That's fun too. But even still, with like Stephen Adams out and Brandon Clark out, I mean that'll be fun just for like you know, the trash talking and all that jazz. But I'm just already annoyed at the whistle that the Lakers are going to get during this run. So, like, that kind of loses its steam for me. But, you know, I'm not really expecting much out of Philly and Brooklyn. I think it'll be a nice little revenge series for Mikael Bridges. I think that's a series where, you know, the Sixers could overlook the Nets and drop a game or two here or there just because – Nobody's even it's it's sort of like the Celtics series where I don't think people are even thinking the Nets are gonna win a game in that series, but they play hard. So I'd say for me it's it's probably Knicks, Knicks, Cavs one and then Warriors Kings. I just think, you know, A, it's gonna be awesome to see the Kings yeah. in that environment again. But B, you're talking about two insane offenses where, you know, if that gets into a track meet, the the Kings have proven they can hang. And I just I don't know if you know, the Warriors' depth and defense is going to be good enough because I just think people are sleeping on Sacramento and I believe in the beam. So, you know, <laughs> pray to the beam. Uh, yeah, so speaking of first-round matchups, who are we rooting for in the, the last play-in game here in the East? I guess in the war of attrition, right? We know nobody's going to beat the Bucks in round one, but who is going to give them the hardest time, the Bulls or the Heat? Like, who are you rooting for? I think it's Chicago, and, and I, I only agreed. Say, and I only say that because because um, I wrote a blog about it today. When you look at what they've done since the the trade or since the All Star break, they're fourteen and eight. That's the third most wins in the league. Yeah. They have the number one defense in the league since the, since the twenty first of February. So I think they have the. The big name star level talent that I think if they play well, like if, if this is the Zach Levine you can get, you can make a competitive series. I think, you know, DeRozan is, you know, a mid-range god. I think the problem is when you look at the head-to-head matchup, I think like Giannis has lost like one time in his life to the Bulls, which is guards him on that yeah. team is yeah, the problem, like, no. dude. So, yeah. so that doesn't exactly Booch. work in your favor. <laughs> I just think the Heat stink. Yeah. So I, I just yeah. think the Heat aren't as good as Chicago. Chicago has if with Caruso back, they kind of get a little bit of a of a defensive jolt. So I think you just have to believe in the individual talent and hope they can at least bring that to five or six games. But like you know, the, the Bucs shouldn't have any issues, even without Middleton. You know, they have the advantage there. But I think the, the Bulls star power just gives them a higher likelihood that somebody like it's more likely to me that Zach Levine goes off for 39 than it is Kyle Lowry <laughs> yeah. goes for 30. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm kind of talking myself into it a little bit. Like this morning on my walk in preparation, I'm thinking about the playing game tomorrow. And I'm like, are the Bulls? <laughs> kind of like the shitty version of the Celtics. Like Levine and DeRozan are like 
you know, I mean, they have three Walmart, they have like Walmart Jays. Vucevic can pop like Al Horford, and then you he can shoot, and, and yeah. then you've got Caruso, <laughs> who's like Marcus Smarty, and then Derek, and then Patrick Beverly is like Derek Whitey. So there's they're, they're like all worse <laughs> than our versions, but like the matchup problems that the Celtics pose for the Bucks, the Bulls also pose, like the pull up shooting from Levine and DeRozan that you know can get the Bucks into trouble. They and, do have it. And don't sleep on Patrick Williams. He's a yeah. really, really good arm ball defender with good size. Yeah, you're so, <laughs> well, he, well, he's not, well, he's not stopping Giannis. Yeah. Nobody is. And I don't think they can build a wall like the Celtics can just because, like, who's their backup big? Uh, Andre Drummond? Like, he's not doing yeah. anything. When it comes down to shutting off the others, if you need to throw Patrick Williams, who has great length, on a Drew Holiday – or a hobbled Chris Middleton, that's a much better wing defender than Caleb Martin or Tyler Hero. So my hope is that it's the Bulls. And I think when you get into that momentum and you have Patrick Beverly, who's definitely going to say the Bulls are going to beat the Bucks in like yeah, five yeah, games. Yeah. This has so much self-confidence. I just, I would prefer it to be them, but for all we know, like they'll lay an egg, the Heat will win and One they'll game. be out in four games. So. One game. Yeah, for me, it's the heat. I know you guys are right about the Bulls, <laughs> by the way, but I personally carry way too much emotional baggage when it comes to the heat. We've talked about it all year and all last year. So in terms of like the idea of sending in the troops to do some damage before the Celtics arrive um, in Milwaukee, to me, the heat just seemed like there's more potential to, to do d- damage. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not talking about wishing injuries upon anyone or anything like that, <laughs> but I just feel like damage to the, the Bucks, like psyche and like how they conduct themselves We've seen the, the Heat muck up teams. That's like kind of part of their modus operandi. I just think that, that they're more capable of, of making life difficult for the Bucks. So that's, that's where I'm at. You, no, everything you, you say about the Bulls is right. <laughs> do you guys think any of those teams in the second round provide that same sort of challenge, whether it would be Cleveland or Cleveland. New York? Cleveland, for sure. I think Cleveland can buy some problems. Yeah, like the, the pull-up shooting of Garland and... And um and go and Mitchell, the, I I actually think the Knicks are going to win the the. I'm starting I'm like starting to talk myself into the Knicks just because I think, I think Tibbs is going to cook up a crazy playoff defense for a team that has like two non shooters and then a and then their like their small forward on the Cavs. I think is such a big question. I think Tibbs, assuming Randall can actually be healthy, I know that he's kind of borderline for coming back. I so I want the Cavs mm-hmm. to get through because I think they could actually do some damage to the Bucks. I just have this feeling that the Knicks, they have more experience, it feels like. There is, <clears throat> I myself have talked, have done some talking myself into things. <laughs> Shocking. I, there, I do think there is a universe that exists that this year's Cleveland team, that's maybe one or two years early in their ascension, can be like the 2017-2018 Celts that were a year early and made that surprise Eastern Conference Finals run. Because when you look at their metrics, like in terms of point differential, it's like yep. Boston-Cleveland. Net rating, Boston-Cleveland. Defensive rating, Cleveland's up there. They have the height. They have the elite guard play. Donovan Mitchell is a playoff warrior. I mean, that dude goes to another level. Their biggest weaknesses, like you said, wings, small that small forward spot, you know, anytime you have to put faith into Karis LeVert is, you know, a wild card offensively. But I just think when you're 
when your backbone is defense and elite scoring perimeter players, you can get through a postseason run and upset people. Whereas the Knicks, it's like, you know, you got to have Randall playing out of his mind. You got to have quickly playing well. And, and Brunson, I think, is having an unbelievable year. But I just don't know if they have like the additional supporting cast firepower that Cleveland does to potentially upset the Bucks or anything like that. I think the good news, regardless of who goes through, I think if they go through, that means Randall's healthy. I think the Knicks like are good enough to at least like challenge challenge the Bucks and like put up a fight. Yeah, as opposed. Am I alone in just not trusting the Knicks in the playoffs at all? Like, I do not <laughs> trust Julius Randle at all yeah, in the playoffs. I, yeah. I'm sorry. Brunson will ball out, but man, like last time he was in the playoffs, he was bricking every, he's like hitting the side of the backboard against the Hawks. This is a different team, though. Yeah, this is a different team. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> but it's the same Randle. <laughs> right. Between Randle and, and RJ Barrett's that way, yeah. too. Like, RJ's so bad, dude. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I was a big RJ where, guy. There are games where he locks in and overachieves, and it turns them into like a like he's killed the Celts in every time yeah. they played. So I just think they. They're a roster that has more volatility in terms of you outside of Brunson. I don't know if you can feel great about getting a consistent, you know, play from everybody throughout a series. Whereas with Cleveland, it's like, you know what you're getting out of Jared Allen. You know what you're getting out of Donovan Mitchell and and Darius Garland. And I think there is something to be said of this being their first playoff run in the post LeBron era. Like that could give them a little bit extra juice. So um, I just I believe in their talent maybe a little bit more, but I think if the Knicks all if you're getting the best version of the Knicks, mm-hmm. they've shown that they can lock in defensively, and you know Jalen Brunson's one of the best clutch players in the league, so you have to give him his respect for sure. All right, well, buckle in, <laughs> folks. The playoffs are right around the corner. The the temperature in the room, from my gauging, is is nervous excitement, which I think is part of the course going into every postseason. I think that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. Please rate, review, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Help us out with that algorithm there. And come and join us Sunday afternoon for Game 1, live in our playback room. That's going to be a lot of fun. Greedy, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, anytime, guys. You know, if I'm if I'm still alive after game one, I mean, listen, that's I kind of joke about it, but it's not really a joke. With you know, it took 300 days for me to get over June 16, 2020. The regular season over in a blink of an eye. Like I'm 36 now. Like I can't be. I mean, I'm. I just, I don't know. My heart's, it's getting old. Yeah, the the strain on the heart is real. Spoonie and I are both 36 as well, so we feel that. Mm-hmm. And look, that's why we do oh. this. We do this to just to keep ourselves focused <laughs> and, and not like spinning off into the universe um, out of control with anxiety about what's going to happen next for the Celtics. All right, guys, Spoonie, Jake, love your work. Until next time, go Celtics. Bye, guys.